Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. These are the teachings from our Sunday gatherings. We are supported by listeners like you who find value in the mission of discipleship. If you'd like to give financially, check out our website, our Instagram, or our Facebook for the giving tab. And thank you for partnering with us and keeping the mission alive. Grace and peace to you. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. And um, I'll get to this in a bit. Does anyone know what this is? It's a sharpener. Sharpener. Honing rod is the, the technical term. If you're a chef, I am not, but I looked it up and I cheated, so I know. Um, honing rod. So yeah, sharpening, knife sharpening, you're close enough. We'll get to this as well. I just need to keep that there safely so it doesn't hit my feet with no shoes on. Just being sketchy. Um, no, we're today's uh, passage, as you guys know, I always bring this up in case people miss what we do, but um, we go through the lectionary, which means that for a few hundred years, people have been using this setup group of passages um, that takes you through a journey that if you journey through the lectionary, um, each day it gives you passages to read that are Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, um, and epistles. And so you get kind of a little bit of all of scripture. And if you read through it and you stick with it for four years, you read through the entire scripture and you get like this really big picture of like what's happening. And so we use that um, because it's a great guide and it's kind of better than just um, topically kind of picking whatever we want to talk about and, and preaching on it. Um, it keeps us in the word and it keeps us cruising through the word. And so, um, so I get passages that are really fun to preach that I would never pick. And today is one of those ones that I would never pick. Okay. Um, the title of it, get, brace yourselves, get ready for this. Dealing with sin in the church. Yeah, it's going to be an easy one, right? Uh, we'll just, we'll pray and we'll just walk out of here. No problem. Right. Um, but, uh, one of the things that uh, that I did was I just threw a title on it to kind of give us some like direction as we talk about it so that we don't ever lose track and we don't get to this point where we're like, Nate said this and I wasn't quite sure. I hope it's crystal clear based on the title, where we're going and what we're doing. Um, but life with imperfect people, I hope that gives kind of a direction of where we're at. Um, and then the subtitle is Ignoring Problems doesn't bring about peace. Ignoring problems doesn't bring about peace. So we'll unpack that. We'll dig into it. But um, do we have any perfect people in the room? Okay, so just, oh, we got, okay, so we got spouses, like, pointing out the other spouse, just saying, trying to get extra credit. I like that. Um, and for the podcast, yeah, that's right. For the podcast, everyone raise their hand. Um, we're all perfect in here. And, uh, but no, we, we understand that. I think it's a, it's a simple thing. Like we understand that we're not perfect. Um, and when, before we read this, I just want to establish a little bit of like some groundwork for it. Um, we all wrestle with what it looks like to follow Jesus. Um, if you're in that journey and if you're not in that journey, if you're not following Christ, you also understand that we live in a broken world. Like, you've either been a recipient of that brokenness where someone has hurt you, done something evil, done something wrong, or you've been a participant in, like, creating evil for someone. Maybe we can get a show of hands on that one. Anyone ever done that? Anybody willing to be humble enough to say, hey, you know what? Like, I've caused harm in someone else's life. Just me for the podcast. Okay. <laughs> uh, everyone raise their hand, pretty much. Um, 
we're good there. Um, but no, like we see the damage that exists as a result of fallenness, of brokenness, of selfishness, of just wanting to do things our own way constantly, right? And that usually, like I, I used the analogy a couple weeks ago of like, if I get green lights constantly, someone else is getting some red lights, right? If you're driving down the road. And if I constantly think that life is about me getting green lights all the time, that comes at the cost of someone else, right? So we have to understand that there, we, there has to be a give and a take, and there has to be boundaries set in our world. There has to be things that we do out of generosity in order to bend things towards good and not evil, right? Um, and so that sin that exists in our world, um, it's at its core, we have to recognize that what God is doing is allowing us to make decisions. He doesn't make us robots. He doesn't make us force us to live this life. He doesn't force us to do anything. So we have this freedom to live a certain way. And um, what Jesus does, he comes in and kind of kind of wrecks all of that, doing it yourself and doing it your own way kind of stuff, right? He kind of throws a wrench in it and is like, well, there's a better way to live. There's a way that I've designed you to live. And I invite you to live this way. I want you to try it. See what it's like. Begin to see that it'll bring about peace. And, and so hopefully as I unpack this passage, we'll, we'll see that a bit. Um, but what Jesus does in his like, great commission is I want to bring, out flourish, bring about flourishing in your lives. I want human flourishing. I want people to live the best possible life. And that's going gonna to cost you a bit because you're not going to get to have everything you want at the cost of someone else around you, right? Um, there becomes an aspect of selflessness to it. So let's read this passage. Um, let me just start out with Jesus said it, not me, okay? Are you guys ready for that? Uh, we gotta, we got to follow Jesus, and I can't just cherry pick what passages I like and, and not the ones, but um, let's go through this. This is the whole thing right here. Um, let me read it, and then, and then we'll talk about it. So, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. That's a part to underline and highlight. Um, if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. We'll unpack that. So just hold your horses, okay? Um, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. All right. So we got this challenging passage talking about sin in the church, sin within the church. And I know your first response is like probably going, you know what, like, I don't want to get called out for any of this stuff that I do, I've done this week or I've done in my life. Um, but what Jesus does and what I hope that we see is Jesus' constant passion, movement, desire, teaching, discipleship circles around restoration. It circles around bringing new life, 
bringing new life to people. And so when Jesus is teaching his disciples, he's not trying to make life difficult for them. What I think we always have to keep in mind is what Jesus is trying to do is bring about what I said earlier, flourishing, the best possible way to live and interact with other human beings and the world, ultimately, all of creation. And so when I first started studying this, like, whew, this is heavy. This is going to be a lot to unpack. But then as I started sitting with it, I was like, this is actually really good because if... In our minds, we understand what Jesus teaches over and over, that he's came to bring life and life to the full, that he's coming to restore life and bring back healing to people's lives, then this has to be part of that, right? And when I begin to sit with this and look at it, I begin to see that the posture that Jesus invites us into is a posture of healing within the community. So the first thing we have to understand is the, what he calls them to isn't just like, this isn't like call out sin to everybody, okay? So we're going to unpack this and we're going to give you guys a few, few things that we probably will nod our heads to and go, yeah, that's pretty obvious. But as we begin to see how these parameters that Jesus gives us about handling sin within the church, it's actually there to help us grow and help us thrive. Um, because I know that the areas of my life that where I've had sin that was very obvious in my life, when I had people come around me and support me and like encourage me in those areas and help journey with me in those areas, I found freedom. And that's what we're going to talk about. So uh, part one, I want to say is heart is everything. Okay. So what Jesus is doing here is he understands that we live as imperfect people. We live with people that are broken, people that have been hurt by other people, that carry these things into daily life. And so therefore, we're going to cause damage. And so he says, you're, you're in the midst of people in a community of believers who might sin, and there has to be some kind of restoration that happens in that process. And so the heart is the core thing. And so it's kind of like the thing beneath the thing that Jesus preaches about over and over. So um, some examples to give you of like how he does, how he does this and how you've probably seen it is um, Jesus will say things like, you've heard it said a certain way. But then he says, he goes, if you even have hatred towards someone, that's murder. So, like, he gets at the core of things. He gets at the deeper, the thing beneath the thing kind of stuff. He says, like, adultery. He's like, you've heard it said that adultery is bad. He goes into the deeper thing and says, if you even have lust towards someone, you've committed adultery. And what Jesus is trying to do there, he's like, I'm getting at the heart of it. Like, if you're already at the point of, like, being so angry at someone, he's like, if you see that as the core beginning of potentially murdering somebody you'll start to change that. Because then you're like, if I hate someone, like that's just going to fester. It's going to build up more resentment, more anger. And that can like perpetually grow and turn into something where you either really like ostracize someone from your life or the extreme, like he says, murder, right? Like people don't just wake up one day and murder someone. Like there has to be something in their life that creates that anger, that bitterness, that like, I just want to get revenge. I want to get fairness, whatever it is, uh, there's something deeper. And what Jesus does, he addresses the deeper, the heart issue. And so what I see here is what Jesus is trying to do is say, if your brother or sister sins, recognize that that's the beginning part of it. 
begin to like see that that could cause a lot of damage, a lot of hurt to other people. And so begin to step in in a loving way. And so that requires this heart of love. And so, um, again, I subtitled it. Ignoring problems doesn't bring about peace. Ignoring problems in people's lives and ignoring when someone wrongs you or um, if they're wronging other people, ignoring it doesn't begin to bring peace, right? It could just continue to happen. It's going to continue to create that damage in our world. And so um, my example that I want to give you, and, and I know that uh, you guys are going to hate me for this because I, I use gardening analogies way too much, but I'm going to continue doing one more. Just I'm going to, I'm going to commit that sin. You can call me out later. Um, but... Uh, Chris actually sent me this, this uh, what do you call it, like a, I don't know, it was an Instagram post that, um, that talked about gardening and how, how lame I am. So it was basically saying, uh, growing your own tomatoes is the best way to devote three months of your life to save two bucks. All right, for those of you guys that can't see it on, online. Um, I, I just love the, the process of growing some tomatoes and growing fruit in my yard because just because it's like it's really cool to see something produce fruit after you put some work into it. Um, it's definitely not to save a few bucks. <laughs> it's more just like I enjoy that process and going out and grabbing like a really good tomato because every gardener is going to claim that their fruit tastes way better than what you get in the grocery store, right? Um, so my tomatoes are the best tomatoes you've ever had. But... Um, but what I did to go, yeah, that's right, keep going. Um, but it, here's, here's my sin. I'm going to just drop it on you guys. Um, I stopped watering my tomatoes for like the last, I don't know, three weeks. My, my girls, my wife sometimes go out there and water them. But I told you about how I had these epic tomatoes growing in my yard. No longer. They're shriveled up. They're dried out. And there's a couple of tomatoes left on there um, because I neglected it, because I stopped watering it, because I got busy. And I'll just be honest, I'm just like lazy and tired in the afternoon. I'm like, I just don't want to go water some plants right now. Um, I forget about it. It's not on my radar. And so I committed the cardinal sin of every gardener is just like not watering your plants. And now they're shriveled up and there's the waste. Um, but here's the deal. Um, I know that in my life, had I had a overly zealous gardener in my life to be like, hey, did you water your tomatoes? I probably would have done it. Because they probably would have asked me some questions like, do you still want tomatoes? I'd be like, yeah. They're like, have you watered them lately? No. They're, they're dying. And they're like, well, okay, go water them. And I'd be like, yeah, good point. And I'd go water them probably. Because it doesn't take that long to water some plants, does it? But I share this because I think that's kind of like our lives and how I think the first step of like confronting sin, confronting the issue is if you have someone in your life that cares about you, that knows what you desire, that knows that you want to commit to this, like, I'll just stop the whole analogy and just kind of go straight into life, that you want to commit to following Jesus, that you want, you want to be a loving person, that you want to treat people with respect and dignity, then if someone sees that in my life, I hope that they say something to me and say, hey, like, have you watered your tomatoes lately? Like, have you done a devotional lately? Have you been, like, digging into God's Word? Have you been praying lately? And I'd be like, no, actually, I haven't. And it's, it's been, like, to my own detriment. Like, I've been kind of angry, and I've been, like, short with my kids and kind of frustrated and yelling at people that I shouldn't be yelling at. You know, like, I think when we have someone in our life that is either, like, I don't know, just as excited or more excited than we are about our Christian faith, there's something that happens there because their heart is prioritizing Jesus, the prioritizing the things that actually transform life, right? 
And so, yeah, that gardening analogy, I, I wish I had some more gardeners that were like, hey, dude, water today? And you're like, no, I haven't. I haven't been doing that. But I need that in my own life and my, my personal walk. And I've noticed that as I have people in my life that do that, because it wasn't always that way. Early on in my Christian walk, it was like, I just did things on my own. And it was like, don't share those things with, that you have going on in your life with other people. They'll think you're lame. They'll think you're not a good Christian, and they'll think that you're failing miserably, right? Um, and that just gets worse as you become a pastor, because then you're like, oh, I can't share anything because I'm a pastor. Like, I can't share my struggles. We all struggle. I'll just, I share that just to say, we, there's always gonna have the, we're always going to have those seasons where there's a challenge to be open and honest about where we're at and what's going on. Um, and... But what I, what I hope we do is that, um, and kind of my first thing is like, that we just keep watering, right? To continue on that analogy, that we keep watering, that we keep fanning that flame of wanting to grow closer to Jesus um, at the core of who we are, that it becomes the heart of who we are. And, and that's the beginning couple of lines of this thing. It's like, if a brother or sister, we'll just, so we could start, we could probably spend this whole sermon on that one. It's a brother or sister. This isn't like, he's not giving a description of like how to deal with sin outside the church and the world or whatever you see in your family's life. Is how do you deal with sin within the church? Like within the people that you trust, the people that are family to you, that you share meals with, that you hang out with and you share your life with, that your kids grow up together with. If your brother or sister sins, like the people that you love, then take action. Like, because you care for them, right? So this comes out of a heart of love, not out of heart of like, dude, I'm going to call you out because I saw that and I want to make funny, you know? Like, it's, it's not about shame. It's not about guilting people. It's about help. It's about heart again, that very first point that I was trying to make. Um, and it's, it's got to be grounded in that. And so that I don't want to even continue on this, like, this message until we really get that. And so the first part of like really grounding in that, and I'm going to hit on like three different things that I think are core, and there's probably a few others that maybe you could add to it, but um, we have to have a few guidelines when it comes to how we handle this because it is pretty important because I've seen it done really bad. I've seen it where people call people out and they do it in a way that's condemning, that's judgmental. Um, and then that's where people go, you know, the church has been judgmental and they're not loving, they're not kind. And so, but if we use this guide that Jesus gives us, we begin to see that it's, um, it's actually helpful. It's actually really, really good because it brings about peace. So the first thing I think is recognizing the person has to be a believer. Like they have to be on this journey where they say, I want to love Jesus more and more each day. I want to, I want to, I want my life transformed. I, the hate, the bitterness, the the lust that may be in my life, the judgmentalness, the envy, the whatever, like all those things, the insecurities, I want to get rid of those things. And that, for some people, it happens overnight, but if you're like me, it takes a process, right? It's like God's got to do a work on your life because you have to begin to uproot those things that we thought were super important and begin to transform that, right? So the first thing, it has to be a believer, somebody that wants to journey with you in that, that pursuing of Jesus. And so... Um, this isn't for everyone. This isn't for you just to police others online even. Um, I know that there's like the church gets like this rap of like, we'll just go on and just be like keyboard warriors and tell everybody how wrong they are for whatever it is. It doesn't work, okay? That's not, it's not what, what Jesus is calling us to here. Um, and so people can misuse passages like this really quickly. Um, 
And so the first part of that is just like it's they have to be a believer. Um, and it is, it is strictly for people that you know well, and which takes me to the next thing. Um, actually, let me, before I move on to that, the believer part of it, um, the, the core part of, I think, what Jesus does in saying, if your brother or sister, it's family, right? First of all, you see that. It's like brother or sister is a family um, kind of way of phrasing that. Um, there's a sense that you're going to grow together that you're going to journey together as a family and develop and continue to deepen your understanding of who God is and uh, be on mission together as a family. And so um, one of the passages that stood out to me as one that you might be familiar with that I think captures this, because a lot of Proverbs that begin to really point us in the right direction when it comes to living this out. And it's Proverbs 27, 17. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So we need to be believers in this process, and we begin to be shaped not only by Jesus, but by one another. And when I read this and started doing some study on it, you start to see people comment on it, and we're like, iron doesn't sharpen iron. Like, see, this is why the Bible's, like, outdated and doesn't understand and, and doesn't get it, you know? And so people, there's all kinds of stuff that I probably should have just went in and started, like, responding to a little bit, but I'm not going to be the keyboard warrior. Um, but... Uh, this idea of iron sharpening iron, it's an idea that develops you into being sharp because the knife is designed to cut things. It has a purpose. Um, and as I began to dig into that iron sharpening iron, because at first I was like, no, you have a sharpening stone. It requires something that's more abrasive um, to sharpen a knife. I mean, do we have any chefs in here? Do we have any knife people? Like, Man, I'm, I'm the only one. Okay. So maybe I need to go into more detail on this one. Um, but no, uh, my brother is a photographer, and he loves taking photos of um, chefs, and so he does a lot of culinary stuff. And so he gave me this really nice knife. And um, the way that I keep it sharp is for filleting fish. Um, the way that I keep it sharp is with a honing rod. And the honing rod is made out of steel, the same material. The honing rod, when you sharpen a knife with a honing rod, when you see a chef doing that, like, I can't do it, but like when they're all, you know, like they get all fast and they're like sharpening up a knife. Um, they're not actually taking material off. It's steel on steel, which doesn't remove material. What it's doing is it's aligning that edge of the knife that is a perfect edge when you first sharpen it. But as you use it, it starts to have imperfections that go back and forth. And what the honing rod does is it brings that back to a perfect edge. And so it's making it purposeful. It's making it so I can slice into my tomatoes. You ever had that where a knife just like mashes the tomato and it doesn't slice into it? I love it when it just slices in. It's so nice. Um, but the idea is that like we sharpen one another and they're like, one isn't more abrasive than another. The, the intention of it being the similar steels, iron being iron sharpening iron, is that I'm not better than you in this situation. That you're not better than me. It's that we're coming together in order to bring about this perfection, this like this purposeful, meaningful edge that begins to happen. And so what iron sharpens iron is pointing to is restoration. That first thing I was talking about, what Jesus is trying to do is restore. What Jesus says here in dealing with sin in the church is about restoration. It's about bringing back the purposeful edge that you're designed to be. And you can't do that on your own. You need other people, other believers, 
to do that. Um, and so we have to have that, like, that understanding that we're continually sharpening one another, and we have to be in relationship, which brings me to the next part of that, is there has to be a friendship. So I can't just go up to you. If this is like your first day at GP, I can't just go up to you and be like, all right, so tell me about the sins in your life. Uh, let's go through the whole list. Let's go through the whole last week, how that looked, you know, like highs and lows. Let's talk about it. It's not going to work, right? But somebody that I know deeply, that I've had relationship with, that I've talked with, like Andy and I have sat and chatted about life together with, many of you, um, there's an understanding, there's a friendship, there's a trust that begins to happen that says, I can open up my life to you because I know you're not going to smash me in some way. I know you're not going to go and take this to the rest of the world, that it's one-on-one the way that Jesus talked about, that it's like... If your brother or sister, bring it up. Talk to them about it. It wasn't rally the church at first and then just like point them out and be like, look how messed up Ryan was like this week. Come on. Like everybody, can we all just agree that he was in the wrong? No, it's about let's come together one-on-one, maybe over a burrito or lunch, coffee, whatever, and you talk about it because there's a trust, there's an understanding that we're here to journey and develop in our, our walk with Christ. And so... Um, Proverbs, again, like it's just, it's such gold. But Proverbs uh, 27.6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And it adds in here, uh, who corrects out of love and concern. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful because they serve as a hidden agenda. Kisses of an enemy, not the one we want. We want friendships. We want meaningful friendships that begin to develop and push us towards Christ. And so that friendship, I think, is so key. I think that's just a a real important part of it Um, because the way that we've designed church, I think, today, and I've already gone over that last week, um, is it is a little bit less of a friendship. Like, you can kind of come solo, check out what's going on, and then bail out and do your own thing. And um, we have a very individualized way of doing church, and I hope we can kind of shift that culture a bit as grace and peace um, to be a community that that rallies around each other through conversations, meaningful life-on-life kind of thing. And so, um, iron sharpens iron. Be faithful to the friends. Number three, um, it's, I'm kind of reiterating it again, but it's one-on-one. It has to be one-on-one. This is, doesn't start with two against one. This starts with the intention of growing. And it says in Hebrews, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. There's an emphasis on like, let's encourage each other to be the best possible Christ follower you can be. Because we know that you're gonna, it's going to change your life. Like, the reason I'm standing here, I've shared this before, is because someone lived such a beautiful life in Christ that I was like, I want that. Like, my life's wrecked, and I because I keep lying to people, and I keep doing these things that are damaging to myself. But I see this person that's a believer, and they were just so loving, so kind, so generous, so full of joy. Um, so let's, let's keep encouraging each other towards that. And I think it's, like, friends that I have that do that, I, I value that so much. Um, and so not giving up on meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Like, just recognize that, like, days are limited. Let's continue to encourage each other towards the things that really matter and not the stuff that just destroys us, right? Or even just going solo and trying to do it on our own. So um, Jesus has this goal of restoration. I think these three things are so important. It goes on to talk about, like, if someone doesn't listen, I don't know if we need to get into that too much, but... 
Because I think if you start with these three, you're probably going to win someone over, as it says. You're probably going to, they're probably going to hear your heart and go, yeah, this person really deeply cares for me, wants to see me do well, and isn't just calling out or asking about my, my sin life so they can go blab about it to everybody else. They're doing it because they love, because they want to see me thrive. And I think most of us, right, are going to see that as caring, as supportive, as wanting to encourage someone on the journey in Jesus. So, um, yeah, I, I just, I think it's so core to how we need to live. And it, again, like I said, I, I didn't want to preach this at first, but then when I started thinking about it, I was like, actually, this is really good. This is like really, this is actually the thing that's helped me develop in my life. And begin to uproot the sin that is in my life, the distracting, the distractions, the ways that I, um, I get fixated on things that don't matter. Um, I, I get hurt and then I lash out in ways that I shouldn't be. And, and I think when I have people in my life that consist, consistently hold me accountable in this way, it's beautiful. It's good. It's actually really, really beautiful. Um, so, um, I know this, this may seem intense, and I know at first, if this is the first time you're hearing this, it may seem wild, but I think if we begin to take steps to have these kind of deeper relationships, I think we'll thrive. I think we'll do really well. It's about us being set free by what Jesus is doing. And, um, and that's why Jesus is so brilliant in what he teaches, that it's, it's meant to transform life in really, really beautiful ways. And so um, in John 14, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. And, and I think that's just a really succinct reminder that the world will tell us that we need to do things on our own, that you need to just, like, chase after whatever pleasure you want, whatever, like, makes you feel good, right? Like, um, you do you, you know? Um, and do it solo, and you don't need to have anybody else on this journey. Like, we have a very independent culture, right? Like, do it on your own. But what Jesus says, I want to bring peace. And that peace comes from being in relationship with brothers and sisters and beginning to develop and grow in what it means to journey towards Jesus, begin to develop your character um, in beautiful ways. And so um, I, want to, I want to close with a, a passage from Romans that I think sums up because Paul understood what Jesus was teaching and continued to like encourage churches to rally around what was most important. And um, in Romans 13, he says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Like that's the core of what this whole like, Christian walk is all about. Um, For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, like I mentioned earlier, you shall not covet all the sins that exist, and whatever other commands there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. He sums it up again the same way Jesus sums it up. He's like, sure, there's a lot of, like, there's the Ten Commandments that'll tell you what not to do and the sins that exist. But really, he's like, I'm going to sum it up with this. Love one another. And he goes on, he says, and do this, understanding the present time, the world that we live in. The hour has come, has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. 
The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in the, the darkness, and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently in the daytime, not in the carousing and drunkenness, not in sexuality or morality, debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of your flesh. In a culture that emphasizes live and let live, I would say, just let people do their thing, like you don't need to say anything. Um, I believe what Paul, what Jesus, what the early disciples, the early church rallied around was recognizing that we find freedom as we begin to live this countercultural life. You really start to find this true freedom in Jesus. And I think as we prayerfully approach passages like this that are difficult, and as we prayerfully approach like how we handle sin in our friends' lives, our brothers' and sisters' lives, um, we'll begin to see that it brings freedom, that it's not something we want to avoid, that it's not something we want to just skate away from, that it's something we want to actually delicately, lovingly um, engage in conversation, meaningful conversation that brings about restoration. And so my encouragement is just to make space uh, for that to happen and use those kind of three rules. I know there's a little bit more to that probably if you want to add some to it, but um, like being vulnerable, I think is a big part of it. Like you have to tell someone, hey, hold me accountable. Like ask me good, tough questions or can I just share some heavy things in my life? And are you willing to pray for me in those areas? Like you have to be vulnerable. And I think that's another part too, but prayerfully consider how you might have this in your life. That's kind of my like to do, because we got to have a, so what we can't just leave here and go, yeah, we should definitely do that someday. Um, we should step into it. And so I would say like prayerfully consider how this might happen in your life. Maybe you have one or two people right now that you could start to say, Hey, I want to meet once a week and just pray for each other. Or just at least text each other and say, hey, like, I'm struggling with this area of my life. Can you just pray for me? Start small, whatever it is. Um, but create that space with some people that you trust that can help you grow. Because I think it's just, it's such a game changer when it comes to our faith and us being able to see really how this all becomes tangible and, and really life-changing. Um, so uh, I know it's difficult. That's not easy. But let me pray. And I'm going to throw up a passage as we close with the final song um, and just some time of worship and reflection. Um, this, this psalm, I think, gives us, uh, I think, language for the kind of posture we need to have when it comes to the sin in our lives. Um, we want to be set free. I, I don't want to be chained to the things that that destroy me from the inside out or that destroy the people around me, right? Like, it wrecks me when I lose it on my kids and I do something I shouldn't have done or I say something I shouldn't have done. Like, that's just me being honest as a pastor. Sometimes I've done that. It wrecks me, but I want to continue to be transformed in that. And I have people in my life that I talk to about that that hold me accountable with that. And passages like this, I think, give us that kind of posture that say, Lord, teach me. I just, I want to be moldable. I want to be shaped. I want to be more like you, Jesus. And so I'm not going to read it. I'm going to allow you to read it. And as we close, just 
read through it a few times and see what word stands out and see what may be in your heart um, is something that you want to begin to adopt in your posture towards Jesus and your your life and your relationships and how you begin to develop and your discipleship. So let me pray. Lord, uh, thank you so much for challenging passages like this that, um, that aren't easy to read, that aren't easy to hear, um, that convict us, that challenge us, that... Um, that really bring about the things that we don't want to we don't want to share with people, Lord. But we know that ultimately it brings freedom when we begin to allow you to work in our hearts. And so, work in us, transform us. Um, even today, I don't know about how the rest of the week's going to go, but today we want to be transformed. We want to begin to live in that freedom. And so, work in us and give us a, a sense of uh, vulnerability with others that um, brings about that change. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen.